Good evening, NCM. Well, what day is today? Today is Thursday, September 15, 2022. Hallelujah. And the first thing that we're going to do is watch a video. Let's see if we have it today. Well, that was one proud mama that sent me the video. What's happening there, if she, she, if she was here, she'd be melting. Uh, what happened is that I'm at work, and she sent me this video. I'm, I'm busy, but I have to make some time for this. And she's extremely proud. Why? Because one daughter is helping another. Amen. One daughter is not looking at the little one and belittling her, right, for not being where she needs to be according to her own uh, thoughts, uh, according to her own ideas. She's going and she's with gentleness, with care, with love. She's, hey, put this one here and you do this here. And, you know, my, I have girls and there's a boy coming. So I, it's a, we're, uh, I, the father has made me more tender, but he'll make me a lot uh, rougher in the coming days. <laughs> and, uh, and we were just very proud. It was a very good feeling. It was uh, like our father and um, our, the father and mother were being pleased, uh, which takes us to our uh, sermon title today, which is Brother's Keeper, Father's Pleaser. Brother's Keeper, Father's Pleaser. When you see a video like that, am I on? Yeah, yeah. here we go. All right. When you see a video like that, and, you, and those of us that have children, you look at your children and you see them do something like that, unprovoked, unprompted. They're not told to go and do that. That is just what's flowing out of them. That is what endears our heart. That is something that we want to continue to promote. That is something that we love and we cherish, and we're going to celebrate that. They, uh, Megan answered the question there, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? She said, yes, I will take care of her. I will give her exactly what she needs. Come on. And that's what we're rising up in in this body. So to start off tonight, we're going to reflect on uh, Sunday's message a little bit, Judah and his brothers. <clears throat> Judah and his brothers, there were, these were some of the things that we discussed. This is what was impacting our heart. Our brother's success does not take anything away from us. Did you hear we, that in the message? Yeah, that was a very moving point because that's often what trips us up. That, that's one of the top things that trip us up and how we interact with our brother. We're seeing something, we're seeing how they're being favored, we're seeing how they're being blessed, we're seeing what they may have been given, and we're questioning our value based on what they have, and that's not what it's supposed to be like. Yeah, we were looking at a limited pie, right? Ooh. That we grab slices from, and if I grab some, then Paul has less, right? And how often do we feel like that? Like mm. the kingdom of God is some limited uh, portion that, that we all have to bite, fight, you know, grapple over each other, <laughs> So that, so that I can get more. It's like the survival of, of the fittest, right? Mm. How often do we feel like that? Mm. No, the kingdom of God is ever expanding. It's ever growing. It's ever increasing. The Lord is not short on what he has for his children. Come on. Paul was so confident about the love of God that he expressed in Romans 8.38 that neither death nor life nor rulers nor the present nor the future nor power nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Saints, when we get our attitude right with the Father, 
There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can pull us away from everything that he has for us. We are the only ones who get in the way. Misunderstanding of our father shows up in mistreatment of our brothers. That was the next point that was really cutting our heart. That we're not understanding what the father's will is. We're not understanding what his goal is, what his perspective is. And so it shows up in how we speak to one another, how we mistreat one another, how we judge one another, not according to God's standard. Hey, so Judah, you remember the sermon, right? Yeah. You listened to it twice probably. So yeah. Judah thought it was Joseph's fault, that dreamer, right? And then Judah thought it was Tamar's fault. Uh, that heir, that Onan, his sons died, right? Forget the fact that, Jesus, that the father says that heir was evil, right? Hmm. That Onan did what displeased God, right? But, but in Judah's heart, there was a problem with Tamar. There's a problem with somebody else, not himself and not God. He misunderstood, right, the father, his, his, his relationship with his father, and that showed up in mistreatment towards his brothers, the fact is that we are getting this right today. Yeah. We're getting this right in our relationships. We're getting this right with our brother. The next point was that a necessity for equality is a misunderstanding of the character of God. That we feel that everything needs to be equal. Everybody needs to get an equal amount. This needs to be fair. Everyone should get the same portion. And if that's not happening, then we're misunderstanding the character of God whenever we get angry. Whenever we get embittered about that, whenever we start looking at one another in that way and saying, wait a minute, this isn't adding up. Why? Instead of getting with the Father, instead of seeking what he has for you and what he wants for you, instead we continue to focus on that. I know, I know all mamas were convicted by that comment they made. Yeah. Like, do you look at your children and do you have to give equal portions to everybody? Otherwise, you feel like a bad parent. How about, how, I mean, this is exactly how we see our life. Hey, why is, why is Paul getting to do so many things that I'm not? You know, why, why is he getting so much favor? What, what about me? Why don't I get equal portions? Like, let's, let's go back to where we can divide everything equally so I can feel valued in the same way that my brother Paul is. Yeah, or the other side of the spectrum of how come I keep getting asked to do this? How come this is getting dumped on me? Why isn't this brother stepping up and helping out? How, how come more is being required of me, Lord? Are you uh, feeling what we're saying tonight? Has anybody else had those kinds of emotions, those thoughts, those wicked thoughts, and th those opinions that completely slander God's character? So let's yeah, ask I the know that I have. Let's ask the first question. <clears throat> first, who are you to talk back to God when you're thinking these thoughts? I mean, does the potter say to the clay, hey, you should use me for this? Does the clay say to the potter, <laughs> you should use me for this, right? Like, let, does, does the, pot, the pot say to its maker, hey, I, you know, what you try to do here was not really good. This is what I'm really good for. Yeah. No, who are you to talk back to God? The second thing is that whatever calling God has on your life is far more than what you deserved. Yeah? Okay, think about where you came from. All right? I know where I came from. I was talking about it earlier this week about growing up in, in the slums of New York. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad I got here. But God has so much farther greater things and for me to think that I can uh, try to do it in my timing, try to do it in my planning, try to say it needs to happen this way, I am undeserving of anything but death. And what I have received from the Father is good from his hand. And it's far more than I deserve. Look, I deserve to be kicked to the side of the road. I deserve to be left there. I, de I don't 
believe this, or, or if you don't believe this, if you don't believe that that's what you actually deserve, then you may not even be saved. Hey, look, if, if we walk with an entitled atti attitude, it lets us know. You should be reminded of yourself when you, when you walk with some kind of entitlement that you, nothing that you have, you ever deserved. Nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Like, like my brother said, you deserve to be kicked to the side of the road and left to die. That's what I deserved. And if we don't really believe this, we may have to judge whether we are actually saved or not because that's how we came to salvation. You deserve nothing and you cried out for something. I need salvation. I need my father to come through. No, we, the, the truth is we've been washed. We've been giving, given fresh clothing. We've been given clean clothes and righteous deeds to put on. And that's where we need to start. We don't deserve it, but that's what the Lord has given to us. And so we should be grateful. We don't need to be looking around comparing ourselves against ourselves. We just need to commend ourselves in that we're doing exactly what the Father has told us to do. Let's, let's turn to Genesis 40. Oh, no, we don't need to turn there. We're just going to read Genesis 44. 33 through 34 in the ESV. So this is the part that most impacted us from the message. Okay. Genesis 44 verse 33. It says, Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant or a slave to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Now, son Booth. Just, I forgot, we forgot to tell you, put everything on the ESV today. So, this verse, Judah is saying, how can I bear to see my father's face? How can I go back to my father without my brother? Judah is willing to sell, him, to sell himself, to put himself in slavery, just for the fact that he, he cannot bear to see his father's face and know that his brother is not with him. Now, that was impactful to us. Because it's, it's telling about what is my relationship with my brother and whether am I, do I actually have the face to go face my brother without him. Yes. Am, I able, am I actually able to do so? Or do I feel like Judah with this heavy weight that I need, I need to die, I need to sell myself, I need to do something, lay my life down so that I bring my, my brother to my father's presence. This was the way to your matter. Did, did Benjamin love his brother? I mean, did Judah love Benjamin? Yes, yeah. but the weightier matter was that he loved his father. He was seeking what his father, what would have pleased his father. Look, he's saying, I cannot show up without his son. I will not. I absolutely will not let that happen. Instead, yeah. I'll sell myself into slavery. If that means my death, so be it, so that my father is pleased. Look, <clears throat> we are going to be our brother's keeper in this place, and we will be our father's pleaser. Amen? Come on. Amen. Well, let's look at a, a parallel story that reminded us of what was going on here. Let's look at Jonah. Now, most of us are well aware of the story of Jonah. We'll give you a really brief shortcut there. Jonah is told by the father to go cry out to the city of Nineveh, right? Jonah did not go. Instead, he gets on a ship. He gets thrown from that ship, and, she, and he gets eaten by a large fish. Now, he then cries out from the belly of Sheol. That is what the Bible says in Jonah 2, 2. And God hears him. God speaks to the fish, and Jonah gets vomited onto dry land. He does preach to the Ninevites after this. He had to get vomited in order to be able to do so. And then they repent like it's nobody's business. They repent like, 
far more than they he, he even thought, right? And God relented from bringing evil and judgment upon the Ninevites. Everything sounds like this is a perfect story. I mean, I would like to be the character of that story in the sense of I preached and everybody converted. The king put sackcloth and ashes, everybody repented, and I'm like, we did this, Father. But this is not what happened. No, this greatly displeased Jonah. He was angry. He was grieved. And go figure, right? He went and did exactly what the Lord told him to, and the Lord did what he said he was going to do, and he's upset about that. But this is the reason that the Bible presents for his displeasure. Let's turn to Jonah 4.2. So Jonah had a very specific reason for why it displeased him that the, the Ninevites actually turned from evil. Jonah 4.2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So what is Jonah's reason for being upset? Why is he angry? Because God is merciful? Because he's gracious? Because he's compassionate? Does that seem to make sense? <laughs> no, it doesn't. But truthfully, those kinds of thoughts, those kind of uh, uh, opinions show up in my own heart. Look, I've been through this before with different family members. Lord, I know how this goes. You want me to share this word with them? Why can't we just cast judgment on them now? Why can't we just deal with them, move on to someone who's, who I actually care about, someone who I think is deserving of salvation, and, and not consider what the Lord's heart is? I do this very same thing, and I may not... Uh, pray to the Lord the same way that Jonah prayed here. That's, that's quite a funny prayer, actually. I was thinking about it. I'm like, wow. He prayed to the Lord and said, yeah, didn't I tell you that this is why I didn't want to go? Because I knew how good you are. I know how <laughs> merciful and gracious you are. I know how good you've been to me. So I didn't want to go so that my enemies would receive what I have. Come on. Wow. Yeah. You know what's the most deceiving thing? That Jonah said that he knew. He yada. Wow. He said that he yada. He knew like he had actual intimacy, he had actual knowledge, revelation of who his, who his God was, about the character of God. So let's clarify something about Jonah. Jonah did not know God by making that statement. Why do I say that? He had an understanding. He was more a philosopher in, in this respect. He knew things that were passed down to him by Torah through his ancestors. Like they were, they were there in the page. He read them. And I knew you were this person, right? Generations passed him down, but this was no revelational knowledge. I mean, reading the word, attending church, that kind of gives you the feeling that you know God, right? Like, like you fear God, like you love God. Like, yeah, this is, how, how, how many messages do we get per week? I mean, how many words do you get? So it gives you, it kind of it puts the word everywhere you're at, and you feel like you have some kind of knowledge. And so Jonah is speaking from this very intellectual, very, very philosophical uh, way of thinking about God, but I don't think he actually knew Yara, his God. No. Uh, because of what he thought he knew, it skewed his perspective on the people, and it skewed what God's heart was and what his intent was. You know the story. Read through the rest of it and, and see how it results. Look, uh, Jonah said that he, Yada, that he knew the Lord, and you may feel like you, Yada, like you know the Lord, but there's a great difference between intellectually perceiving who God is and knowing him in a way that you are consumed 
by his character. When you can, when we can go around and we can quote these axioms on the wall and we know what they say and we're looking at someone and we're seeing if they judge up to, if they match up to that, we're judging their character and see if they match up to that. When we know that we were in that very same place, that's where we started. We didn't deserve anything and the Lord called us here and he's revealed these things to us and we have grown in knowing his character. But when we start to judge people like that, then we begin to fade back. We begin to shrink back from actually knowing what God's heart is in the matter. Knowing him in a way where his character is permeating through our being so that we would never say, well, God, this is who you are, but this is who I want to be. Or God, this is what you do. Father, this is what you do, but this is what I'm going to choose to do instead. That's what Jonah was doing. I know how you are, so this is why I'm going to go do this. I know how, what, the things that you do, how good you are, so that's why I'm going to go do this instead. Hey, hey let's, let's just engage with this a little bit. So has this ever been us? You know the character of God. You're like, but that is God. You know the character of Jesus. And you say, well, but that's Jesus. And so we look at his character. We know intellectually what God looks like, what his character looks like. But we say, ah, this is me. I choose to do this right? This is who I am. I am in progress, right? I am, I am, I, I, I you know, I'm, I've been born again for one year, so this is what I'm going to do. Forget this. I'm not going to love my enemies. That's what God does, not me. So you, we start, we start, we, we say we have some knowledge of the character of God, but that, that knowledge is not actually experiential. That knowledge hasn't passed down to a place where it's transformational, where you know him, and because you know him, he changes everything about you, Right? That is what Jonah is, is struggling with. He knows something about God, but it doesn't, he doesn't look like him. He, he's, not, he's not moved with the same things that our father is. So Jonah's, Jonah's disobedience caused many things. Many things. But the first and most important thing that it caused is separation from his father. Let's look at where this started in Jonah 1.3. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Away from who? Away from the presence of the Lord. Saints, you know what the, the Hebrew word for presence is? It's panim. He was going away from the face of the Father. He was actually running from the one place that he, he needed to be. Instead of bringing before his father's face and his presence those whom the father labored for, those who he wanted to bring to the father, he decided to run away from the father. Instead of being aligned in heart and action with his father through intimate experiential knowledge of him, he drew further apart from the face of the father. Saints, this is what it looks like when we start to make our own judgments, when we don't want what God actually wants, when he's revealing the things he's revealing his heart to us and that's not what our expectations were so instead of instead of being like judah who was willing to die to present his brother to his father right instead of that to before his father's face instead of that what what jonah is doing is that he's running away from his father's face not bringing anybody to his father's face just running away from his presence actually at the end of the story jonah feels sorry it says that he felt sorry, but not for the reasons that we think. He feels sorry because God made a shrub, a little plant grow, and he shaded him. He gave him some shade. And so he then caused the plant to wither, and 
because it didn't benefit him anymore, he felt sorry. However, God's heart in this matter was to actually pardon, to cleanse, to restore a people. Yeah. To, to, to which Jonah was unwilling to labor for. He was, and this is what we're, what we're going to start hammering here. He was unwilling to labor for these people. He was unwilling to take these people and bring them before his father's face. Instead, he chose to run away from his father's face. Okay, so we're picking on Jonah a little bit, right? Yeah. In doing so, we're picking on ourselves. And we're, we're exposing these things. We're highlighting them. This is good. We need to address this. And we're going to put it to death once and for all. We are going to make a turn to Paul in Acts 26. All right? In Acts 26, we're going to pick up in verse 15. It says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you. Saints, right here, right from the beginning of Paul's encounter, Saul's encounter with Jesus, there's a oneness. There's an ihad that's being offered, that's being presented to him. Lord, Jesus is revealing himself to him, and he's revealing knowledge and insight to him. And Saul has a decision to make from right here. He's already on a mission, right? He's already on the road to Damascus. He's got something he's going to do, but he's not really lining up with the Father. Look, Saul is having an encounter with Jesus who's already gone through this process that he's about to call him to. And this is about to change the whole course of his life. He receives revelation, he receives divine knowledge, and he receives clear direction and a promise of what must happen next. He is Ihad with Yeshua and the Father and now has new purpose. All right, let's go to verse 17. Are you alive today? Yeah. All right. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What's happening is that Paul had an encounter with the living God. And by doing so, he was changed into a new man. And not only was he changed, he was given a mission. And that mission, he was getting ready to do. He, he, it didn't stop at him being revealed a new facet of his life, a knowledge of who God is, all the beauty of God's character. This compelled them to action. The, Saul was not the same man from this moment on. No. Never again. Because God transferred his own character, who he was, and an actual knowledge of him was put in, in Saul's life. Yeah, his, his identity was completely changed. Again, he thought he was doing a service to the Lord. He had zeal in what he was going to do, but his identity was completely changed in that moment. And that same zeal that he had for the heart of the Father now had clear direction. He knew what must be done now, and he was not going to be turned from it. His identity, his purpose is to witness both to his brothers, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. And at this very moment, he's reflecting. We're in Acts 26. So much has already happened in his life. So as we're reading this, it would be easy to get caught up and think about what's going to happen. No, he's saying what's already happened. Think about the suffering that he's gone to up until this point. Guys, what we're going to next is beautiful. We know that when we join our hearts with the Father and we're experiencing him, our identity is revealed and righteous acts and actions will be the result. It's just what flows out. We don't have to try to figure out what are the right things to do. No, we're one with the Father. 
our identity is changed. We're confident in who we are, and we say, okay, I'm just going to do what you say, Lord, and righteousness flows from it. Look at verse 19. Before we get there, what was Paul's mission? He was breaking walls. Yeah. He was breaking dividing walls between brothers. He was breaking dividing walls between the Jews. That he, that who were the Christians at the first century at the beginning? They were all Jews. He was breaking dividing walls with them. He was breaking walls with the Gentiles. He was basically breaking walls with everybody and bring them, bringing them into his father's face. Verse 19 says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You heard that? I was not disobedient. But I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. What followed after this is obedience. But it's not just some kind of, you know, wishy-washy obedience or some uh, kind of blind obedience, like he doesn't know where he's aiming. He's given a mission. Yeah. And in that mission, he doesn't stop. You know that in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that he has labored more than everybody else. Because the grace that was given to him was not in vain. So he's laboring, he's given his life, and he's given his life to break walls. He himself says that he wished that he would be accursed, that his own brothers would come into the faith. Come he is an example of somebody that sees Messiah. Has a revelation of God. His heart is changed. And he's so moved, so compelled to action that every single day, every single moment of his life from then on, is about giving his life so that he may present his brothers to his father. Put yourself in this setting then. So he's talking to King Agrippa. And he's telling him, I was not disobedient to the vision. So unlike Jonah, who was, who was disobedient to start, and then he was wavering in his obedience and in his attitude, Paul's saying, no, I wasn't disobedient in the least bit. He's on trial, but he's letting them know, hey, this is how I followed through with my obedience. This is how I got to where I am today. He started right where he was at there in Damascus. Right when, his, when he was healed, he started immediately to preach, and immediately there were death plots on his life. Immediately he started to face persecution. Jesus told, uh, or the Lord told Ananias, I will let him know how much he must suffer for me. Right off the jump. And that's exact, exactly what he faces. Guys, this is a pattern. This is an evident pattern that we can see from the beginning of Scripture to the end. That men of God, sons of God who want to do the Father's will, who are seeking his heart, they're going to face suffering. They're going to face persecution. And it's for the advancement of their brothers. And it's to please the heart of the Father. All right. So we've looked at Jonah. We've looked at Paul. But does anybody want to learn from the king? Yeah. Come on. So let's go to Hebrews 2 verse 10. Our master, our Lord Yeshua, is a pattern for us to follow. Never, ever, ever put him in a place that's so high that you seem, that you think that you cannot reach his thunder. Wow. He is the pattern for us to follow. He is the great teacher and we are his disciples. Verse 10, it says, for it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The father found it fitting. Yeah, he found it fitting that in bringing many sons to glory, Yeshua would suffer. Yeah. I mean, this, is, this wasn't like, hey, get ready for a sermon the day before. No, this was not the type of suffering that we're talking about. This is not suffering that I'm going to have some, a cup of coffee and, and give him a word. 
This is not the suffering of, in the sense of, uh, oh, you've tried to appeal to your brother, you've spoken a few times, you thought you had compassion, the brother's not really going along with what you're saying. That's not the kind of suffering. He walked, he talked, he, he preached, he faced death, he walked throughout all Israel, he sweat, he didn't eat many times, he didn't sleep many times, he labored in prayer, okay? He was facing threats of persecution, and it all drove down to the shedding of his own blood. This is the kind of suffering that we're talking about. Yeah. This is not living for his own life. This is living for his brothers. The father thought it was fitting for him to do so, so that what could happen? So that he could bring many sons yeah. to glory. Yeah. That is, the, the son had a glory with the father, and he did not count that something to be grasped. He gave it all up so that through that suffering, that sacrifice, he would actually bring other brothers like us yeah. to glory. Amen. How can we not follow that pattern? This suffering worked perfection in Jesus. The founder and pioneer and perfecter of our faith was made perfect by laying down his life for his brothers. Saints, if we are called his brothers, then we're called to go through the same thing. No, nobody sitting in this room right now is perfect, but we will be perfected as we lay down our life for our brothers. Amen. We need to get out of our heads, though, of martyrdom, of I'm just going to go die one day. physically one, one day. day for my brother. No, every single day. That's what it looks like to be perfected, to be sanctified, to go through this process again and again and again until we are truly bringing sons to the Father in glory. Verse 11, it says... For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Man. So he who is sanctifying, he who sanctifies is actually doing some work. He's sanctifying. And this is a work in process, a work in progress. So we don't get to, to escape this responsibility as well. No. Now what happens is that we look at our brothers and we want them to be sanctified. Right? It's like... Yeah, I, I wish you were sanctified so that, so that you wouldn't hurt my feelings so much, so that, so that we could get along a little better. So we're expecting some level of sanctification that we're not so eager to put our, our, our work to, our labor to. We're expecting them to be where they need to be, right? Like, you have been coming to OCM so long. I mean, you, you've done everything that you need. But, but tell me, how much have you actually labored? For their sanctification. This is what Yeshua did. He was the one that sanctified. And he labored to sanctify his brothers. They weren't perfect. But he wasn't ashamed of them in imperfection. Come on. He's not ashamed of us, his brothers. Because we're perfect. No, he says, I'm going to sanctify you. I will make you perfect as you go through the same process that I have. And you go through that same suffering. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Saints, this is the attitude that we need to have. We need to look around and say, it is my responsibility to help make my brother set apart for his calling. It is my responsibility to help make my brother holy by washing him in the word. That I have a responsibility dying to myself daily in order for my brother to be sanctified for his work, that he might be perfected. Saints, if we all have this mindset, if we are reaching the heart of the Father in this way, we are all collectively going to reach that goal. Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things, that through death, 
he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Hey, our Father is the same source for each one of us right here. Do you catch that? We all come from the same Father. How, how can we look at each other and not feel passion, okay? Like literal passion and zeal to see each other succeed. To, to honor the essence of the Father of glory in each one of us, right? If we have the same source, right? If we come from the same essence, from the same Father, if we come from heaven, I need to love you. I need to labor yes. for you. I need to sanctify you and be sanctified by you. We share, Yeshua shared in the same flesh and blood. Through his death, he was never ashamed. Hey, how we, have you ever looked at a brother and, and felt like, like, oh, uh, you know, I, I just better turn right now. Like, like what, what is he, he going to do? Like, earth just cover me, you know. <laughs> what, what, what this is, what's happening is that we, we, we want, what we need to desire is look at our brother and say, I see the Father inside of you. I see exactly who you are because I know the Father. We're in alignment with him. I know I have his heart. You have his heart. We come from the same Father, and I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to bring you to glory. Saints, track with us. This is exactly what Judah was doing for Benjamin. I will sell myself into slavery that you might be delivered. I myself will suffer since I know what will please my father. I know that I will be in right standing with the father. So I will go and do that so that my brother might be delivered. Lord, I will go and suffer so that my brothers might have salvation. So that they're no longer living in, the, in slavery of fear and death. What do we have to fear? Saints, if we are all seeking to bring sons to the father in glory, there is nothing to fear. The Father's the one who called us to do it. He's the one empowering us. He's the one who said, hey, I know how much you're going to suffer for me, but this is good. This is what's going to bring sons to me. The reality of our shared common origin is a beautiful and impactful one. We have one source. It's the Father. And Jesus has shown us the way to the Father. Malachi 2.10. Let's go to Malachi 2.10. It says... Have we not all one Father? Hey, have we not all one Father? Yes. Has not one God created us? Yes. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? This word is also translated in other versions as treacherous. Faithless or treacherous, again, the, the basis for the prophet's rebuke here is that we have the same Father. We're not looking at somebody that's a stranger that comes from another, another place. We have the same source. Because we have the same source, we have the same Father, we share in the divine nature of the Father. How can we act faithless or treacherous towards one another? Now, treacherous sounds like too bad of a word. Like, oh, no, I'm, I, I, that was not my intention, brother. You know, I, I wasn't treacherous towards you. Like, we, we would rarely accuse somebody of treachery, right? But when we see each other without... Faith-filled eyes, okay, treacherous actions is what follows. Basically, we see each other and we are not able to have faith. Because we do come from one father, but we're not able to actually have faith for one another. What follows is complaint. Mm. 
What follows is false expectations. What follows is an unwillingness to put yourself in the line for your brother. What follows is that you don't care for your brother as much as you should. You, we start acting in enmity, in division, in envy, in all kinds of evil things because we don't realize or we don't have in our mind clear where we come from and where our brothers come from. That our identity is rooted in who, where we come from, our father. When we lose sight that we have one father and we begin to act treacherously, how, how it shows up is that we tend to snap when things get difficult. Yeah. We tend to snap at one another. We have, we have a, a quick reply, a quick response. We're not moving in the heart of the Father. We're not speaking the truth in love. We might have a rebuke, a, an admonition that wasn't even spirit-led. It's just something that we f feel ne needs to happen in the moment because we completely forgot that we come from one Father, that the Lord has one goal for all of us, and that He is our source. Let me we ask you this. How prone will you be to snap towards your brother when you realize that he's your father's son? How, how prone will you be to think, uh, to, to assign wrong motives to a brother when you know that he is your brother's son, your father's son? I'm telling you, when we, when we actually see each other, when I see Judah as my father's son, yeah. we become family. I actually see him as family. Right? There is no tension in between us. And if there is, it's only for us to bring each other to glory. It's not because I snapped or I just let my flesh go. You know, I, it I was feeling bad and I saw you wicked. We see each other rightly. We see each other with faith and we don't act treacherously towards one another. We stop pulling away when it's difficult. You know that tendency to pull away is like, oh, I don't want to get this in this again. You know, like, like I... You know, let me just turn a blind eye right here, and I'm going to walk forward and get out of the church really quickly so I can go back to my home. And instead, we look at our brother and we say, brother, you're my father's son. I am going to labor for you. I'm going to die for you. Let's come and let's, let me not just rebuke you like you're somebody else that I don't even love. Let me actually come and entreat you and, 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 and love you and hold hands with you, pray with you, and Teach you what you actually are. Show you who you actually are. Show you the essence of the Father inside of you. We end up focusing on the flesh and not on, on whom, on, on the Father from whom our brother comes. That's what happens when we lose, lose sight of where we come from and our identity in God. Yeah, and our communion with the Father is broken there. That's why Jesus can say to the Pharisees, no, you're just like your father, the devil. I know who my father is, and they're, they're confused. They don't understand where Jesus is going there because they've broken communion with the Father. So they're seeing with fleshly eyes. The same thing happens to us, and we, we miss what God is going after. Look, 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So this verse plainly states that those who actually love the Father also love those who have been born of him. Saints, this should definitely make us question how much do we love the Father? How much are we displaying that love for the Father by loving one another, by laying down our emotions, our thoughts, our ambitions, and saying, how can I serve my brother? Father, you want this, this son in glory. How do I better serve him? Those who have been born of my Father bear his image. We have to remember that we were all created in his image, and we are glory bearers together. So we must 
be calling each other higher in this regard. If I truly love the Father, then the natural outcome is that I would love his children in the same way that Yeshua did. Hey, I have, I have caught myself saying I love the Father so much, right? I, like, I love you, I love you, I love you. Like singing that song, I love you. And, 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 and then all I'm thinking about is myself, right? All I'm thinking about is how much I love the Father and how much I want him to be pleased with me, and how much everything is about me. Like, instead of, instead of expressing the love for the father in that I care for his children, right, because that's what actually pleases his father, my father, then I, I, what I'm expressing is levels of insecurity, wanting to get closer to the father than what I already am. I am near to him. I am his son. And because I love him so much, I am willing to care for every one of his sons. I'm willing to lay my, my life down for his sons. So let's look, let's look at what this actually looks like in our lives. Yeah. Look, this will cause us, when we have the right perspective uh, to the father as a son, and we're viewing each other as brothers of the same source, of the same father, guys, we won't let offenses get in the way. We're not going to let offenses stop us from doing what God has told us to do as a body. We're not going to let offenses motivate decisions that we make about our life. It won't, it won't happen. What, what does an offense look like? An offense looks like you not being able to have actual shalom, brotherhood, peace, a, a nearness towards them and a love towards them that you're willing to lay your life down for them. If you find anything in you that causes you to pull back, who you are. Pull back as a brother. Pull back as a follower of Messiah. Laying your life down to bring your son to glory. There's something in your heart. Yeah. Alright. You may be looking all around the room. And I'm just like, I'm willing to lay my life down for this guy, for this guy, for this guy. What is that? <laughs> I mean, you, we, we, are you calling the shots on who is the son of God and who you would die for? Wow. I mean, because it's, it, it actually shows up in real life. You may be waiting for the moment in which you become a martyr for your brothers. That's not what God is waiting for. God is waiting for you to become a martyr right now. Lay your life down right now. Amen. Look at every single one of these brothers here in this congregation. And this congregation is not that big. We're like a medium-sized family, all right? How can we not actually, can we, how can we have people that we rarely talk to? I mean, hey, let's get personal here. Brother Andrew, I need to talk to you more. Man, like, we are not that close. I sit over there. You sit over there. We need to fellowship more, right? Hey, does anybody know my brother-in-law, Andres? Yes. Hey, I am waiting for a deeper revelation of fellowship in his life to kick in. I'm waiting for that. I'm praying for that. But you know what? I know that many people of you don't even know him. What, how, just tell me. Just tell me. How can somebody be in this congregation for a few years, right, and you barely know them, or barely talk to them, or barely know their name? We got, there's something wrong in our hearts. Do you love your brothers like they're your father's children? We're hitting both ends of the spectrum. We need to both invite our brothers into our lives, and we need to invite brothers into our lives. This is what the mutual sanctifying process looks like. As we're loving our brothers means that we pour ourselves out for them without partiality, without prejudice, without there being any stipulation 
or the, that there's going to be anything in return, that we are pouring ourselves out. That's what it means to really love the Father and to say that we love his sons, we love his brothers. Look, we're not going to have preconditioned eyes any longer. Yeah. We're not going to say, if this brother is following in line with these exact teachings, how, how many of us got all the teachings right off the jump? God has been good to us. He is leading us along through this. None of us is perfect, are perfected yet. None of us are, are sanctified. We are being perfected. And what we are calling all of you as our family up higher too, we, are gracious, we, we have uh, uh, been given grace to stand in front of you tonight. And we're calling everybody up higher too is to say, hey, love everybody in this room as a brother. Treat them that way right from the start and let the Lord work it out. Let the Lord, let the Spirit convict them. Let, let them truly know that they're marked and they're identified as a son by the way that you love them the same way that Jesus has for us. 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Guys, I love this verse. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Taught by who? By God. Come on. This is so pashat. It shouldn't need to be reminded that, hey, we need to have brotherly love for one another. But the Spirit is highlighting this in us, that we do need to be reminded that we need to have love for everyone. When we are one with the Father, he teaches us to love one another. Guys, get the relationship that we're talking about. Start to have a right relationship of your father first. Amen. Understand your identity as a son. Then you will see your brothers rightly. You will know that, yes, this one is called to be sanctified. This one is called to be built up. I am called to die for his calling. And it doesn't matter how long you've known him. That's what our pastors were sharing with us on Sunday. The difference between three minutes and 15 years, what is it? There is none. If we both love the father and we're both seeking his face and his heart, then we're going to die for one another. Hey, Paul, so you have, you have boys, right? I do. And, and a little girl. girl. So when, w would it please you as a father that Gabriel comes to you, right? And he just wants to please you, man. He just wants to do everything. But he just walked right by his brother, hmm. right? Left him right there. His brother is crying, and he's just like, Father, what do you want me to do? What else do you want from me? Like, uh, like look, I am right here. I'm being obedient, right? And you have his brother laying down right there crying. Hmm. Would that please him? No. What, what are you doing? We're, I mean, are, are you your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. How can we come just like in holiness, right, walking past brothers, not knowing where they're at, what they're doing, what they go through, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I came to church. I came to the Father. There's no fellowship and there's no love. When the, when, or actual unity, shalom, and oneness with God, when we don't have that right relationship with the Father. When I want, as a son, to please my father, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look for his children. Because my father doesn't want me only. That's the truth. I'm not that great, right? <laughs> I mean, not, not even close. So what I'm going to look for is say, hey, I got a bunch of brothers that I need to work for because I know you're not just pleased with me. You're pleased with me bringing many sons to glory, bringing many sons before my father's face. Yeah. When we do that, it crushes insecurity. It crushes our need to be assured. It, cr it crushes that need to say, oh, I, just, I need this pastor. I need this elder. I need this, this brother to notice me while, while completely bypassing a brother who needs you. Saints, we're all called to do this for one another. And I'll tell you right now, our Father in Heaven is watching. 
He sees that. He sees when we say, nope, I will get, I'll talk with Pastor Wade later. I, I love my pastor. I love my spiritual father. But I know that there's another brother in the room. I'm going to go get with Nick right now. I'm going to go get with Micaiah right now. I'm going to go see what they need, how I can lay down my life for them. I'm going to go get with a, a brother that's not living in my house. I'm going to go sit down with Ibrahim and see what's going on in his life. And praise God, if I have an opportunity to sit down with Pastor Matt later, amen. I'll catch him up on how that conversation went. Hey, you know what happens when nobody is looking to be benefited themselves? Everyone is benefited. If when you're always looking for the other person, no one is left behind. Yeah. Amen. When you're looking to yourself, everyone is left behind. It becomes a selfish culture of me, 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 me. Self-centered, right? But when I'm looking to see who I bring to my father, guess what? No one remains behind. Come on. And this pleases the father. Let's go to Matthew 25, verse 40. Now, this is, this is a very no, well-known verse, but I want you to feel how personal Jesus feels, how personal Yeshua and his father feel about what you do to his brothers, and not the greatest brothers. And the king shall, will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did to me. Now, that has, that has to impact us. You have to start seeing Pastor Wade, Michael, Micaiah, Red, Linton, my dad, Cody. You have to start seeing every single person as when you act and you suffer for them and you lay your life down in love for them, you're actually doing it for Yeshua, for your master, for the one that you say you love. That is what happens. And whatever you did not do for them, which is verse 45, you also did not do for him. You know that there are works, there are books of works, right, that are being written as you actually labor. A labor that is produced, prompted by love. As you put your hands to work, the Father is taking notice. The Father is not taking notice of how self-centered you are seeking Him. Of how, much you, uh, how many hours you completed reading the Word. But in how many hours you applied the Word in dying for your brothers. Hallelujah. Look, we have it. I have read the Bible more than I don't know how many times. And I cease to apply it in this exact way. I think that reading it more will make me more holy. And yes, it does. But how about I start pleasing my father in a way that gathers those he wants. I have so much more. Look, I am so stuffed many times. I can stand. I need to go share this, share this with somebody. Like, I can just... I used to sit at lunch and, and get into the Word, and I loved it for so many years. And now I'm like, I have the Word. I need to share it. I need to go seek someone. I need to share the hope that I have. I am not letting the Word by side. I am applying it. I'm actually putting it into practice. I'm sharing it. I have the hope that people need. I am going to lay down for my life for my brothers. I am going to lay down my life for those who are not yet my brothers. We are going to bring in a people, we're going to bring in a harvest. And that only happens when you choose to die. When you choose to lay down your life in the same exact way that Yeshua laid it for us. Amen. Look, we started this sermon off <clears throat> with a video with Megan and Yasmin yeah. and seeing their interaction. The other day, Grace sent me a picture of Benjamin holding up a stone for Gabriel's birthday. Amen. Nobody told him to do it. He wrote it out on his own, and it was Psalm 14.1. Get it? The, 
The fool says in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> I can't tell you how proud that made me, though. <laughs> on, on many different levels. The, the fact that this is how homeschool is starting off for my kids. But seriously, nobody told him to do that. He said, it's my brother's birthday's coming up. I've seen my father give stones to his brothers for their birthdays. So I want to write him a stone. And my sons stay close to me. Gabriel, Benjamin, they know my heart. They know what God is calling us to. They know our mezuzah. They're learning our family banner. These things are getting instilled inside of them. And what it's doing is they're saying, I want to please the father, but I'm going to do it by loving my brother. That is what moves my heart. Us loving on our brothers in that way, that is what moves God's heart. Do you want to move God's heart? Yes. You want to be your brother's keeper? Yeah. Then you will be your, your father's pleaser. Look, I have assurance that they will be taught by God more and more. And their love for one another will only increase. The better that they're doing it now, they're going to do it with others as they, as they grow up in their understanding. My responsibility, our responsibility, and we're, we're kind of switching gears a little bit to parents and fathers and mothers is that we celebrate those things. We promote those things and we say, yes, love your brother. Yeah, your, your, your brother's going to build something. He doesn't know what he's doing. Go help him with that. Or your brother's got a mess that he just made. Go help him clean that up. Those are simple little things, but those are biblical kingdom principles that carry over into something that's going to advance the kingdom and what we're to be doing with one another, joining with one another, truly dying for each other's vision in something that doesn't look so glorious, something that nobody else is going to see, but the Father sees it. Whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for him. Come on. So you don't just need your brothers. I mean, there is this life has no purpose without your brothers. Like Yeshua came to die for his brothers. If we... If, we, if we're not laying our life down for our brothers, our life is purposeless. We are, we are, we are looking at axioms and we're looking at the knowledge of God like, like Jonah and, and not being moved by the, same, by the actual knowledge of God, by the actual revelation of, of God's character. John 17 is a, is a beautiful chapter. We're going to dig into it a little bit right before we finish in verse 4. It says... I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, accomplishment, the glorification of the Father through our lives happened through actual accomplishment of the work. Yeah. That means to the fullest extent. Not, 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 not halfway done, not, not the good intentions. Your intentions don't matter, all right? What matters is actual accomplishment of the Father's will. Amen. When, when any of our children come to us and they say, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to do this. I was like, but you, did you do it? I mean, because that is, that is what actually pleases me. Particularly when we're talking about your sons, your brothers. But my sons, my, my, my sons, yeah. So this, yeah, they're coming. My son. And so this is what pleases the father. That is the works that we're talking about. This accomplishment of those works. Yeshua's life revolved around the heart of the father he was compelled by works the entire life his entire life compelled to lay down his life you have read about him you know him we need we need to cry out 
that, that that same heart that is in the Father that was in Yeshua because they were one, okay? And they're calling us to that oneness would be in us. That it would be natural that we would have that, that, uh, that heart that says, I want to please my Father and I know what pleases Him. It is not to see myself only. It is to see my brothers glorified with me. So we've got a few minutes left. Verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He already had the glory, saints. He was with the Father from the beginning before the world existed, and he laid down his life so that he can bring many sons to glory. Saints, this moved my heart tremendously because Jesus is appealing to his Father. He already knows who he is. He's, he's sure of his identity. He is sure that he is one with the Father, and he's saying, I want all that you wanted to be one with you. That's who I want to be one with you. Every single son that you have called, that's who I've gone out for. That's what I laid down this glory for. And now, Father, let me have that glory back so that I might reveal that glory to others. Yeshua operated from oneness in glory with the Father. His identity was a glorious son, and that was never in question. He never was concerned of, am I out of will with the Father? No, he was constantly in shalom with the Father. He was constantly ihad with the Father, and he was calling many more sons, brothers, to join him. He knew where he had come from, and he knew where he was going. Amen. Indeed, this certainty of glorious origins was paramount to his security in everything that he did. He knew, look, we are all of the same source. We have the same origins, whether we realize it or not. We have the same origins, and we're being called back as sons of glory. We see that Jesus' Jesus's willing obedience to be his brother's keeper was pleasing to his father. So Yeshua pleased him by laying his life down. And we got a, we got a, a prophecy today. It was Jude 1, verse 24. And we can, and we can see this, in, this in, in the father. This is what he says. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, him, to him who is able to present you blameless. That sounds like it's the Father's job, right? It's the Father's job to present us blameless. He is able, right? And this is a very comforting verse. You know why? Because he is able. Because he's done it for me and he's worked inside of me. But what is my response when I, when I look at that verse? What is that response when, when this woman says that she's been forgiven many sins and that is why she loves much, right? What is the response when you have received and when you know that the Father has got your back? When he, you know that the Father is willing to perfect you and he's able to present you before himself blameless. What is your response? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 11.2 for a closing passage. Let's all stand up as you get there.
Second Corinthians 11.2. This is Paul speaking. Paul, the one who had been revealed tremendous, tremendous patience, tremendous compassion, right? Not all of us went about killing Christians, right? Paul was given tremendous compassion. And this is how he turns it. He knows that the Father is able to present each one of us blameless. But this is what he says. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. <laughs> I feel a divine zeal. I have, I have a divine fervor. Like I'm not willing to stand idle. I'm not willing to see brothers just have a rough time understanding who they are in the presence of the Father. I'm not willing to see new people come into this church and not receive what the Father brought them here for. I'm not willing that we would see the least, right, in whatever that means to us, the least of these, and not do it, not work as if we're working for our own master and our own father. His Paul says that he has a divine, it's inspired by God. God has given him a divine jealousy. Like, I'm not willing to lose you. Like Yeshua said, like, I have lost none of those that the Father has given me. I'm not willing to lose any brothers. I'm not, I have a divine jealousy for each one of you. A divine jealousy that says, I will fight whatever it takes. I will labor. I will wake up early. I will go to bed late. I may not go to bed. I may eat. I may not eat. I, I'll sweat, I'll, whatever, in, in pour, in, whatever it takes. There's a divine jealousy that needs to rise in our lives right now. A zeal that says, hey, you know what? Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So the Father is able indeed to present us blameless to himself. But Paul is not resting on that fact for his brothers. Paul has security in that for himself. But he says, I'm going to labor. And I'm going to labor hard. And I'm going to labor more than anybody else. And I will do it because I love the Father. And I'm going to do it because it's a divine inspired zeal and jealousy that I will not see my brothers fail. I will act in the same way, in the same way that Yeshua laid his life down for his brothers. I will do so. And I will not wait until tomorrow or the day after tomorrow when I feel better about myself, when I feel like I got something to offer or whatever. Right now, the Father has already deposited his character inside of you. You are born again, children of God. Born again from the Father. We have the same Father. How can we be treacherous or be faithless towards one another? We must be faith-filled. And you know how, what faith-filled looks like? You actually put your hands to the labor. Amen. That's what faith field looks like. When you're faithless, you relent from the labor. You're like, it's pointless. And I've done that various times. It's pointless. I've worked enough. I've tried enough. I've given you th three words and then he, doesn't re he didn't receive them. You know? I, I, went, I went here and he didn't listen to me. How about, how about we men up like Yeshua manned up and died for his brothers? Like that says over there. That you're willing to die and unwilling to not be able to present them to your father like this verse says. Judah was not willing to go back to his father without his brother. He was not willing. This, this, this wasn't about 
I, uh, whether you like him or not. This wasn't about whether, whether you get along and you have the per, you know, this great relationship. This is about the value that you find in one another because you are born from the same father. And, and you're not willing to see them perish. I mean, that is beautiful. What would happen if we labor like that? With zeal like that? With faith like that? I'm not going to look at anybody and say, you cannot. No, indeed you can. And you know why? I'm going to labor with that divine jealousy for you. Amen? Well, I got nothing else to say. Except that we've said it all. Do we want to close now? I'm going to say that you look at each one of your brothers. I'm going to say that if there's repentance, you take it down fast, swift, quickly. I'm going to say that you rise up from that really quickly to do the will of your Father. To lay down your life. And tomorrow, tonight is a new day. Tonight is a new day to look at each one of us. To look at me. To look at, for me to look at you with renewed eyes. With a faith-filled eyes. For the hope that is ahead of us. For the glory that is ahead of us. We love you, brothers. We love, we're family. We're going to live in this and we're going to die in this together. There cannot be any envy, any strife any jealousy, nothing inside of us that separates us from one another and from being one with the Father. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for these people, your children. Father, I thank you because you have brought me here and you have brought every single person in this place. Father, I thank you because we have all been given birth from you undeservingly. And you were not ashamed, Yeshua, to call us brothers. So we're not ashamed to call any of these brothers our brothers. We're willing, Father, we desire to please you. Father, and I ask you to forgive me for thinking that I have pleased you when I have not labored in intensity and with zeal for those that you have put in my life. Father, I ask you to forgive me for the faithlessness that I have shown towards other brothers. Father, you have shown faith in me and I want to be like you. I want to show the same level of faith for those that you have put in my life, Father. I want to bear witness that I am your son and that I love my brothers in the same way that I love you. Father, I ask you that today we would be renewed in your love and in your presence. Father, I ask you that you would cause a new spirit of divine jealousy to come upon us, Father. That when anybody that comes into this place and see us, Father, they would know that we're your disciples, Yeshua. They would know that we are laying our lives down. That this love is supernatural. That this love is divine. That it holds no record of wrongs. That it covers a multitude of sins, Father. Father, we choose to look at our brothers with your eyes and we choose to labor for them.